Welcome to the Cougar Tailgate, where BYU fandom lives. Here's your hosts, Sydney Carlson and Cole Wissinger. Good afternoon and welcome into the Cougar Tailgate. My name is Cole Wissinger and sitting right over there, it is Sydney Carlson. How you been, Sid? I'm great. You say sitting right over there, but I am a full, in a completely different room than you today, Cole. We, we switched things up. Uh, <laughs> no one listening on the radio can tell or cares but yeah there's this like giant pane of glass in between it's weird so if it it feels if it feels like colt and i are a little distant today it's because we absolutely are yeah there's like 10 20 feet between us instead of like actually seeing you yep 100 percent. we'll figure it out well uh, this will sound it'll sound normal we'll make it sound good and we've got great byu basketball to talk about there's it's been Sydney, it's been so easy doing this show for the past couple of weeks. Basketball is helping us out, really, oh. by giving us wins to discuss. It's immensely more enjoyable to watch or to talk about a team that's winning and winning handedly. Dominatingly. Yeah. Let's talk about it. 45 seconds to go until the break. TJ crossing over on Shabazz. Takes off the hedge from Coonan into a three. Oh! <laughs> TJ Haas! He had the green light from Coach to get a quick shot. The that was tough from the right side, and BYU by 19 for the first time tonight. 44 to 25, a seven nothing run. Third three for TJ. That was something. Leaning into it and knocking it down. A couple weeks ago, we did a show where we talked about getting revenge, <laughs> right. and since we've done that, BYU has very successfully gotten its revenge. First, it was St. Mary's for a, for an overtime game that was such a struggle, and they they came out on top. San Francisco. Not a nail-biter at all the second time around. They got that lead, and they kept that lead this time, winning 90-76 to as a final. I will say, I was biting my nails a little bit. Just knowing the history of how we've played San Francisco and how we've played them this year, when the lead was suddenly less than 10, I got nervous, which is so crazy. Like, you should feel pretty confident with a 10-point lead, but we've had a couple games where, for whatever reason— there's a there's a lag in the lead and it trips BYU up enough that they let the game slip through their fingers. It happened at Utah. It happened at San Francisco on the road. And so we were... Even in a couple of the wins where BYU goes on this like monster run and then teams will get it close again before it just kind of sticks it out. This one, it BYU kind of did widen it up again towards the end. But yeah, it's BYU, you're never quite safe this year. And I'm not sure what exactly... It is that's letting that happen. Yeah, I don't know what the X factor is. It almost feels just like a, like an energy or a rhythm thing. Like if, if they get off whatever track they happen to be on, it's really hard for them to get back on. And there have been teams that have taken extreme advantage of that. And there's usually like one guy that will come in and, take, and exploit the hole that he sees there. And luckily they were able to shut it down this time at home against USF. And to another really impressive crowd, not quite St. Mary's crowd levels, but... It was loud. The place was rocking. I mean, this is what I'm told. I did watch it on TV from a hotel room in Atlanta for the first time, that first game that I wasn't at the Marriott Center for. But Weird. You had to experience it like the rest of us, eh? I did. I had to experience it like a peasant. But the Marriott Center, I mean, you talk about where the X Factor is at. I think there's a couple differences you see in the games where there have been comebacks by the other teams. A, they're the games that Yoli didn't play, by and large. Right. When he is playing... It's a 12-2 and two record. It's a different kind of BYU team. And B, those kind of fall-apart games just don't happen at the Marriott Center. When they get that energy behind things, 
that yeah, helps. Well, it did happen against San Diego State this year. We That's true. Yeah, we did have yeah, that was kind of the beginning and San Diego though. State, that's a tough that's that's a hard one to swallow right now because you see San Diego mm-hmm. State continually win and win and win. We coulda I we think, coulda just been that one little one. Right. And I think San Diego State, if you have that win on your schedule, I honestly think this team is ranked because that's a good enough win on your resume to keep you in that conversation and that's just one of those really tough losses that when you look back you think we we had that game. We had it, we had it in the bag and they just kind of let it slip through their fingers. And that and that goes back to the the pre Yoli days this year, right? That's right. when he was serving the suspension. Yoli in this game made his presence felt, right? 14 of 23 shooting. And he got 32 points, more than double the next highest scorer on BYU's team. It, it feels like it's been a second, though, since we've had a real Yoli game. And so yeah. this this is a good one to talk about. 100%. And he, I mean, Yoli is always a factor, a huge factor mm-hmm. in these games. And even when he comes in and just kind of does his thing quietly and doesn't put up a, a ton of points, he's the most important player on the court. But it doesn't hurt. doesn't hurt to have 32 in that, uh, in that point column. doesn't hurt to... Just have have a breakout game every once in a while. Be like, hey, hey, remember, I can also I can also score a lot of points. That's right. As as well as being an enforcer, and as well as bringing down rebounds, which he now has over a thousand of in his BYU career. Good job, Yoli. Into Scott. Scott banks and misses. Rebound to Yo, and that's one thousand. There it is. Career rebounds for Yo. On the other side, that San Francisco team. It's still very very vivid. The first time they beat us this year. It was Shabazz that kind of single-handedly made that happen down the stretch, held him to only 16 points, coming off the bench, 5 of 12 shooting, only 2 for 7 from 3. That That is probably your difference you know, between these two games is he never got into that rhythm that he was able to get in when it was in San Francisco's stadium. Here in the Marriott Center, it just never started clicking. Right. And especially in that first half, I want to say BYU TV put up a graphic at halftime comparing points allowed for uh, Shabazz in the first game that we played against them compared to where they, what they had held him to yep. just in the first half. And it was shocking. Like it was maybe three times more that we'd allowed in that first game. And it was only halftime. So there was some room to grow. But th- I think that was the difference is that they saw what really, really hurt them on the road against San Francisco and they keyed in on that and said, we're not going to let this guy come in and, and manhandle us on our own court. And they took care of business. Mark Pope said they weren't going to let that happen after the first one. And then they didn't. Good job. (laughs) Gold star. Speaking of what happened. So we're going through the second round, right? Playing teams for the second time. The first time BYU played LMU, it was a 63 to 38 game. That's, a big difference, but we still have something really cool to talk about for this time. Evan Troy for three. And there it is! There it is! For the first time in BYU basketball history, it's 18 threes in a game. 18 triples has never been done until tonight. The BYU three party here in L.A. That's a party I wouldn't mind getting invited to. Sounded like fun. There's so much to love about that. (laughs) The Evan record, Troy. the Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I. It's been a little chilly in Provo. Oh, never, goodness never would complain about going to Los Angeles. But the team went there and got 18 three-pointers, as Greg Rubel told you. That is the first time in BYU basketball history that that many times 
players have shot from that deep and it gone through. More than double the amount of three-pointers than two-point shots. Which is weird. That is insane. <laughs> I think theoretically. Now, I've, I've played some basketball in, in a backyard or on, on the blacktop before. And for me, it is a lot easier to shoot when I'm closer to the basket. I think that's the concept, that right? That feels like it matches with physics and pretty much. And yet, that's not what BYU decided to do in Los Angeles. <laughs> and listen, BYU has been a team for really – most of my life as a fan, a team that lives and dies by the three. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely come back to bite us more times than I would care to remember that we die by the three. But this team has been very fun to watch. Just kind of just kind of light people up from behind the arc. Like that is it's nervy. It definitely makes me nervous. And it's when they kept draining them, then it starts to feel good. But when when you consistently see guys going back, trying to shoot from behind the arc, oh, my heart races. I just – I get so stressed. you got to play the numbers game. I mean this is how the Houston Rockets and the NBA kind of establish themselves is that if you shoot from enough from back there and you're good enough at it, then eventually you'll end up scoring more points because you get an extra point every time you, because you, math. you put one down. Mm-hmm. Um but you gotta like you gotta play the numbers. You gotta throw right. a ton of them down. BYU doesn't necessarily have to do that this year because guess what? In the entire NCAA, BYU has the best shooting percentage from behind the arc out of any team. You talk about the hey, Dukes yo. and the Gonzagas and all the other great teams out there. BYU is number one in that stat. And number one in our hearts. Oh, always. <laughs> so a final score of seventy-seven to fifty-four against the LMU Lions. They let them score a couple more than 38, but I guess it turned out okay. It's like home court advantage, I guess. We'll yeah. throw them a bone. <laughs> That's who we can be. Like, we can be what these guys have invested this year and everything they put in this and the way they keep beating down their own personal agendas to just focus on the team and, and the, the different pieces we have. Uh, it's just really humbling in the sense of like, hey, we got a chance you don't get a chance all the time at this point in the season to think, man, we could really actually turn into a really, really special team and accomplish great things. We have, For us to have a, be a special team, we have to get way better, and we don't have that much time to do it. We will. These guys answer the bell. But we're just hungry, right? We're hungry to do something special. When we come back, we're going to be looking ahead to the game on the schedule for today. BYU is in Southern California yet again, this time against the San Diego Toreros. Cindy Carlson will have a conversation with their play-by-play man, Jack Crone, when we come back on the Cuban Tailgate. Welcome back to Cougar Tailgate. This is Sydney Carlson, and I am here with Jack Cronin, play-by-play for the San Diego Toreros. Jack, thanks for being on. No problem. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background. You've been with San Diego for a long time, but you've actually been with the football team longer than the basketball team, correct? Yeah, it's been about a dozen years here. Uh, Very lucky. The university is an awesome place to work and uh, wonderful people who treat you really well. And uh, so, yeah, it's now done basketball since 2014. Uh, and you know the, the ride they put together the last couple of years, the back-to-back 20-win seasons, the last two years, uh, been a lot of fun. And obviously, the football team doing great stuff. Uh, the FCF level, so, no, it's been it's been a very lucky opportunity. 
I'm really interested because you're one of the few teams in the WCC who, like BYU, has a football team. Talk to us a little bit about their history and kind of their successes. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You know, it is kind of like the Cougars because San Diego is effectively an independent football team, just like BYU only one or two levels below the FCS level. And so they're at the FCS level, but they're also non-scholarship in football. So they play in the Pioneer League, but all the Pioneer teams are, the closest one is in Des Moines, Iowa. And so they go, every road trip is to Florida or New York or Indiana Iowa, you know, and so all of a sudden you're flying across country every time, and you're effectively kind of like an independent. So USD had to schedule up like BYU, uh, create their own kind of brand and schedule, albeit you know two levels down. But uh, it's been they've had a great run, and now they are this coming year going after the all-time college football conference win record. Uh, this is these are teams like Oklahoma and Nebraska that we're talking about really? conference win streaks for USD. And again, of course, it's a different level. It's the Pioneer League, it's not the, uh, the Big Twelve or the Big Eight or whatever. You know, this is a, it's a different level, but it's still a lot of fun. And the big change for USD football was the was the automatic bid into the playoffs at the FCS level, which they won games. So they, even as a non-scholarship team, have two years in a row won beaten scholarship teams in the playoffs and uh, put guys in the NFL. Ross Dwelly, the tight end, just played in the Super Bowl for USD for the 49ers. Uh, you know, they, they've put guys in the league. They have great players. and it's, it's been a lot, a lot of fun to be around. That is awesome. I guarantee that most of our fan base has no idea that there's a football team at USD, so I love that. Um, talk to us a little bit about some of the venues that you've gotten to be at and for football or for basketball, maybe some that are really memorable to you as you've been on the road. One of the reasons I got into this business was to travel, and and so it's been a huge opportunity. Uh, it's it's funny because doing football and basketball is a crossover. Just this year alone, for example, we had a football playoff game in Northern Iowa. <laughs> uh, so going from Cedar Falls, Iowa, in the middle of a snowstorm in November. We played there in football and the very next day at a basketball game in Boca Raton, Florida. So to go from a snowstorm in Iowa, driving to Minneapolis to fly out in the snow, landing in West Palm Beach and calling a basketball game that night where it was 80 degrees, uh, it's an awesome thing. So, no, I mean, the ability to travel, uh, has, you know, it's been to Hawaii. It's been to, uh, every, I've gone to 42 different states. Uh, in this business, uh, so 42 of the 50 states, uh, getting up to Alaska, uh, to Florida, New York, you name it, we're everywhere. So it's a it's a very lucky opportunity, um, and you know USD, you know, getting the chance to even in the NIT last year, going to play Memphis, seeing Penny Hardaway on the opposite sideline. It's just it's a cool cool thing. It's a great business, as you know, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Sure, and I'm sure even the home game is not too shabby being in sunny San Diego all the time, as we mentioned before we got on the air. <laughs> no, it is true. It's USD Football Stadium has a view of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, we have a view of Mission Bay and the Pacific Ocean, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, and so some of the tailgates for basketball, if you go up on the hill overlooking the Jenny Craig Pavilion, where we're going to play here uh, this weekend against BYU, you, you can see the ocean. And this weekend we're having brilliant weather for President's Day and holiday. Uh, it is really, it's stereotypical, uh, but it's, it is certainly lucky to be here. 
Tell me one of your favorite memories you have of calling a USD game. I actually got to call um, before I was the full-time play-by-play announcer for USD basketball. I got to call the 2008 West Coast Conference Tournament. This was before BYU was in the league. Um, this is 2008. San Diego uh, beat St. Mary's in double overtime. Then beat Gonzaga to go to the tournament. And then they won their first and now only game in the NCAAs in 2008. Uh, last year, like I said, getting to go to Memphis and then calling an NIT game, which is the first time the school had ever gone to the NIT, making history was an incredible experience. You know, you're flying on a charter plane, a private jet to from San Diego to Memphis, which is a great basketball city and a historical city. Um, those are those are things that stick out to me. The playoff games in football, the you know the big time atmosphere, and honestly, every year going to Vegas is fun. Yeah. Uh, the Orleans Arena is a great venue for the WCC. BYU travels incredibly well. Gonzaga travels incredibly well. Uh, it's a great atmosphere. Um, you know, it's it's fun. Like I said, I I try and call every game uh, like it's the Final Four or it's the Super Bowl, and you just have fun wherever you are. But the the big moments are really really cool. That's great. Bring that energy. Bring that Super Bowl energy to every game. Yes. I love that. Yes. Um, does USD have any sort of unique traditions for basketball that they kind of hang their hat on things in the stadium or just in general? You know, I don't know that they have that kind of, you know, the, the what they're trying to do is build the program uh, from kind of where it was. I mean, this is a, a nine-win team a couple of years ago, and, they, and then this is a rebuilding year this year. What they're trying to do is get to that point where they can go to the tournament every year, be like BYU, be like a Gonzaga, be like a St. Mary's. Um, you know, where you, in the last two years, they've done that, where they've gone back-to-back 20-win seasons, uh, going to the NIT, putting a player in the National Basketball Association. Isaiah Pinheiro was the greatest player to ever play here, uh, signed with the Sacramento Kings this past offseason. So those are the kind of traditions that they're trying to build. And then the other thing that's cool about USD and the basketball history side is that there are so many basketball coaches and executives who are part of what they call the USD Mafia. And so, you know, guys like Mike Brown, who coached the Cavs, the Lakers, the Warriors, um, you know, they're going to honor the game against BYU this weekend. They're honoring David Fisdale, who coached the Knicks, who's a USD alum. Uh, Eric Musselman is a USD guy. Uh, Bernie Bickerstaff. Uh, So these these the USD Mafia. There's something, I want to say it's like 15 or 16 USD grads are now coaching or front office in the NBA. Wow. And it's it's an incredible thing. I mean, there's only been one player ever. Isaiah Pinheiro just signed this year with the Kings to become the second. But if, as far as executives go, they're like 15. And so that's what, you know, you come inside and you see the offices for USD basketball. They have this big mural up of all the executives, guys who have coached like Mike Brown and, and David Fisdale, who are guys who've gone on to the next level, but they've gone on as coaches, not players. So that's uh, one of the great uh, coaching traditions that San Diego has. And David Fisdale is going to be honored. Uh, they bring back one player for every game. And this, this uh, game against BYU, it's going to be David Fisdale, uh, who is honored uh, here this weekend. So it's going to be awesome. And you mentioned coaches. Are there any players that stick out in your mind, whether personality-wise or just loving to watch them on the court? Well, uh, like I said, last year, Isaiah Pinheiro was the greatest player in, in school history. Uh, you know, and, and BYU fans will remember him. He had great games against the Cougars. And, uh, 
Uh, he's going to say Sam with the Kings. In fact, his teammate, Isaiah Wright, uh, is with him in the G League right now um, uh, with the Sacramento, excuse me, with the Stockton Kings. The Sacramento, sorry. Uh, and there's been guys in the past, Johnny D, who you might remember, who's the yeah. friendly scorer, great was a San Diego native who played for his hometown team. Uh, Gino Palmer from that 08 team. Jashon Jackson, we just honored. Part of the same thing that we're honored here at Fitzgerald this weekend. Hit that game-winning shot against UConn. Uh, great players, you know. And again, this year's team, there are guys that are full of big personalities. Uh, Alex Floresca, who's the lone senior on this roster, uh, has played for three different head coaches now in his five years at USD. Uh, Yawan Masalski, who they call the big squirrel because he's full of energy and never sits still. Uh, the guy from Belarus. Uh, you know, it's fun. so there's there's plenty. There's you know, it's a it's a like I said, a good group of people. It is uh, it's fun to be around, and they're good folks. So you kind of talked about this year's team. That's a good segue to go into uh, tonight's matchup. What are you kind of expecting from the game tonight? So I mean, San Diego right now is sitting in ninth place in the WCC, uh, but uh, they only have two wins, and both are against the tenth place team, which is Portland. So they've swept Portland. But those are the only two conference wins. Uh, but the last four games, they've lost three and then beat Portland during the stretch. Uh, but those three losses in the last four games have been by an average of five points. They have been closer. They've shortened the rotation. Uh, they nearly beat St. Mary's. or a couple of made free throws away from beating St. Mary's. Yeah. Uh, should have beaten Pepperdine. Lost in a buzzer beer to Colby Ross and the Pepperdine Waves. Uh, had a great chance to beat Pacific up in Stockton. So they could easily have been 4 0 in the last four games against great teams. Yeah. All those teams are in the upper half of the league. Uh, so, so San Diego's playing better basketball right now. They shorten the rotation. They're only going to play eight guys uh, here tonight against BYU. So they've shortened the rotation. Masalski's finally healthy coming off the bench, averaging a double double. Uh, Braun Hartfield is averaging 23 points, I think, over his last four or five games. Uh, he's finally just settled down and shooting the ball so much better. So this is, it's been a rough year from a wins-loss perspective, but really when you look at a lot of the losses, they have been really close games. This team easily could be a, almost a 500 team or above 500 if some of those games go their way. Now they're not, you know, they're not going to be Gonzaga, they're going to be BYU, these teams this year. And it's a rebuilding year for the past two. But, uh, but it, they've been playing a lot better, especially the last four. Yeah, so don't don't necessarily sleep on San Diego is what you're saying. No, I don't. I don't think coming. so. Yeah. Again, you know, BYU is a great team. So I mean, BYU uh, is a tournament team, is a, a, an amazing team. Uh, so San Diego's going to obviously have a tough challenge. But like I said, they've been playing a lot better over the last four. They've ramped up the defense. They're actually hitting shots. I mean, they like for a while there had the the lowest shooting percentage in the league, but that's changed over the last four games. So, no, I would not sleep on the Toronto's at all. Uh, and BYU always brings a great crowd, so it would be a great atmosphere, too. For BYU fans that maybe aren't familiar with the area, traveling to the area, give us a local's guide to what they need to see and maybe eat while they're there. Okay, great. That's awesome. All right, so uh, the University of San Diego is in a place called Linda Vista, one of the neighborhoods of the city of San Diego. Uh, the campus, I get there early. Uh, it overlooks the Pacific Ocean, so if you get there before the sun sets, you have a view of the ocean, um, and it's you, you walk up the stairs that are right next to the basketball arena, and you look over the football field, and you look into the ocean, and it's beautiful. So, uh, you know, if you spend the day at the beach, uh, like you should when you come to San Diego, 
Mexico. Then you can make your way over uh, to the arena. You'll have a nice view of the sun setting over the ocean there. If you get there right before sunset, uh, if you're looking for somewhere to go out ahead of time, one of the original, San Diego's known for its craft breweries. So one of the original craft breweries, a place called Ballast Point. You've got uh, some of the so best Mexican food in the world. So, you know, you can, you can go to one of 50 different locations uh, right around the campus. Um, uh, yeah, there's plenty of things to do. I would go to the beach during the day. And I get to campus you know, right at sunset so you can look over the Pacific and then head inside for the uh, late game. Perfect. That's all we need. It's great. It's like, exactly. It's a, that's a perfect day right there. It is a perfect day. Well, uh, it has been a delight, Jack. Thank you so much for your insight. Um, I'm supremely jealous of your the views from your home office <laughs> from your, where you're calling the game. Thank you for being on and for giving us some inside scoop to San Diego. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. That was Jack Cronin, voice of the San Diego Toreros here on Cougar Tailgate. Coming up next, we're going to be putting some context behind BYU's record-breaking performance against LMU. Marcelo the rebound, number five for A.B. A.B. will drive it, hand it off low to Yo. Yo at the rim, up and it is! Two points. He passes Russ Larson into sixth place on the all-time career scoring tally. 1,886 points for Yo on his BYU career. His tremendous BYU career. It really was a week for the record books in BYU basketball. Welcome back in to the Cougar Tailgate. My name is Cole Wessinger with Sidney Carlson. So Yo Lee now, sixth place in scoring. He also pulled down his 1,000th rebound, and of course, we got to get back to the 18 threes that the BYU team put up during their game against LMU. Sid, I want to talk a little bit about the record book. Great. Let's talk about records. (laughs) So let's, first of all, I want to, we can't get away from the threes just yet, right? So the old record for three-pointers in a game for BYU as a team was 17. We beat it by one, we got 18. Uh, 17 had happened two times before. Uh, in like BYU's history, once against Chaminade in 2014, once against San Francisco in 2016. Already this year, we did 17 twice. We've tied the record. So there's double the number of times that's happened on the record book. And that was against Virginia Tech and also Pepperdine. And now there's, there's an extra column right there at number one, 18 against LMU. Feels nice to not share it with other other games you exactly. know like hey no we, we did the thing but but considering that like in a hundred or i don't know how many years BYU's played basketball but in however many years you did 17 twice and then this year you've hit 17 or more now three times it makes you think just the nature of records and so that's what we kind of looked back um i looked at some byu records try to see some of those that might not have a chance might never get broken but then we we opened it up to all sports as well and want to talk just about some of those unbreakable records since we've already broken one let's see what kind of records are out there that that are unbreakable and one that i don't want to get broken <laughs> but also caught my eye here and and uh sid i'm gonna throw this to you what do you think the record is for personal fouls called against byu in one single game. Oh no. I'm gonna say 
Nope. <laughs> no, 32 is what I was going to say. Higher. Higher than 32. Yep. Oh, my goodness. 45. Okay, so a little less than that. It's 36. BYU had a couple wow. games, once in the 70s, one in the 80s, where they were called for 36 personal fouls in a single game. They is... only play 40 minutes of college oh, basketball. my goodness. That is a lot. <laughs> Considering Can you imagine happened... watching that game? Oh, like a whistle painful. every other second. I just, no thank you. I already, I mean... If the refs call like 10, I'm starting to get antsy. Right. What are we doing here? They got in the double bonus. Come on. Uh, my my sister-in-law, she's not a huge sports person. I think I've mentioned on this program before. <laughs> uh, she showed us this graph during the Super Bowl that someone had put out. Like, here's what you should say at your Super Bowl party so that people think you know what you're doing. Oh, yeah. And one of them was like, come on, ref, let them play. And they're like, anytime you see the yellow flag, just dot that one in there. So that just makes me think of that. Like, you hear a whistle every 30 seconds, and it's like, come, come on, on, ref, let them play. Yeah, this this record seems to be one of a bygone era, right? It hasn't happened since the 80s. The, the couple, like, 35s, 34s, BYU hasn't been in the 30s in the fouls since the 90s. It just doesn't seem like how Good. college basketball is played anymore. We can root for this not to happen. I think that is an unbreakable BYU record. And for just, let me check, 65 pages of BYU records. You can go to BYUcougars.com, check them out for yourself. But now we want to talk about just sports in general, some of the mind-blowing records that are out there. And there are many. There are did just brief research looking into some of these, and I am blown away. One that stood out to me, I'm a huge baseball person. We don't talk baseball on this program. But uh, but this weekend, BYU baseball true. is getting started. We kick off the season. This, is it tonight? It was last no, night. They last had night. one, and then they're in the, they're in a series. And what, what better way to celebrate Valentine's Day, really, than what? with America's pastime? America's favorite game. Uh, Cal Ripken. 2,632 consecutive games played. The current active leader has 123 games. Yeah. Like, that is... Baseball is so exhausting to me to think about being a player and getting having to get up for that many games every year. And you just assume, like, guys take time off. Like, even just a game here or there when you're playing a couple hundred games in a season. Mm -hmm. Like, I just... 2,600 games. That is the equivalent of give or take 16 seasons of not stopping. Now, in the NFL, where you get hit a little bit more, there's a couple guys that get like in that neighborhood of like 10 seasons or so of starting every single game. But gosh, it's different when you play 16 games or 160 games to just go out there and just to not, I mean, this morning I woke up with the sniffles. <laughs> if I was a shortstop, I wouldn't have wanted to play today. Like, yeah, like, he did it for... Imagine 16 years of never taking a day off. Nope. What? Couldn't do it. Baseball, uh, the baseball one, I think, I mean, that's that's certainly unbreakable. I look at the way they play baseball now, and I'm positive no one is going to beat Cy Young. He mm-hmm. got the, the trophy named after him, after all, for being a good pitcher getting 511 career wins. Unreal. Just absolutely when unreal. When even other guys in the Hall of Fame are only in the 200-win right? neighborhood. Right. And I just, part of me thinks, like you said, it's a different game now than when Cy was playing, but part of me thinks a lot of these pitchers aren't going to have careers that last long enough for them to even come close to that number. Mm-hmm. And their coach ain't going to let them 
go out and pitch every other game, which right. is you would have to get your like you, you you're only to, playing every five games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you say, you play every other game. Like you step it up to that. You would still have to play more games just with like a decent team right. and play longer to even get close to that. Well, and then to even get the win, like there's so many factors outside of you as a pitcher that go into getting the win. Like I, a lot of times I feel like pitchers have a lot put on them as far as like yeah. you get the win or the loss when it's like the ultimate team sport. But yeah, there's just so many things that go into that 511 career wins that it's quite an astonishing thing. What an accomplishment. And even back then when he was playing more often, he played for 21 years. So you'd have to get up there and play at the rate he was playing and play for teams that are batting and, and can back you up and get you those wins. Right. Ain't going to happen. Unreal. Um, here's one, Mr. Hockey fan. Yeah. 4,421 minutes in a penalty box. (laughs) Um, who's got that one? Dave Tiger Williams Fens. Sounds like, sounds like a 70s guy. 74 to 88. Yeah, you betcha. Man, the penalty box, that is like the cool, first of all. The penalty box is the coolest thing that any sport has going for it. Is like, it cool? <laughs> is it? You 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 do a thing that messes you up. You not only do you sit out, but your team has to play shorthanded for a couple minutes, and then it's just like any given second that other team can score. Like when you're on the power play, that is just constant. You have to be on the edge of your seat for two minutes because something is going to happen. And when you get when you can get a shorthanded goal on it excitement through the roof i love hockey hockey is just like (laughs) hockey is the just the most exciting sport to me where anything can happen at any given time but one of those things that could happen is you You get put in time out you get in fights and you get put in time out and have to stare at the corner (laughs) i wish i liked hockey more it's i should i live in a state that is surrounded by the snow and ice. we complain about the snow every single week every week i know and but for some reason i will tell you my biggest hang up is that it has three periods get it it together hockey that is so asymmetrical (laughs) it stresses me out it is don't tell greg rubel i said that the canadian in there come on he'll get really mad at me if he's he knows i'm bashing hockey his calgary flames are doing okay that's are they? I, I just <laughs> maybe. So I mean, hockey-wise, there is a great one in terms the the greatest of all time to have played hockey, as many consider him. Wayne Gretzky has quite a few points, and and he's got quite a few more points. You talk about someone that just played the game longer than anyone else. Two thousand eight hundred fifty-seven. He's a solid thousand ahead of Yarmir Yager, and Yarmir Yager is like in his forties and. St- uh, I think he retired like last year, but like as of last year, he was still suiting up for the Florida Panthers and still going out there and playing. Doesn't have the mullet that he had in the eighties, <laughs> which is a, a, a minus for him. But yeah, I mean Gretzky's ahead of him by a thousand. That's never going to get touched. Hundred percent. I've got a jazzed record here. John Stockton, 15, absolutely fifteen thousand, almost sixteen thousand career assists. Jason Kidd is like. Within 5,000 of that. So if he hangs but, up the coaching cleats and right. puts on shoes he, again. Right, right, right. Um, and go and give 5,000 more. That's a, good, that's a good buffer to have. But yeah, to know that like Jason Kidd was that close to it and that the closest anyone got was within 5,000 assists, like that's got to be up there with Unbreakable. 
I mean, the the first uh, we'll get the obvious out of the way. The first record I think of when it comes to unbreakable records is also in basketball, and it's when Wilt may or may not have gotten a hundred points. Right? There's there's no video evidence of this actually happening, right. but. The record books say it did, and he's got that cool little picture where he's just holding a little sign, says 100. We saw Kobe get to 81, and that was unreal to watch. Yeah. And then to think he was only, what, four-fifths of the way there? Is that how math works? Yeah, 20, yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Kobe 80% have, of the way there? Kobe would have had 81%, yeah, to true, be true, specific. True, 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 true. Kobe would have to have been Kobe like that. Plus plus twenty percent, plus nineteen percent. That is impossible. <laughs> uh, how about Tiger Woods winning the Masters by twelve strokes in nineteen ninety seven? Twelve. I mean, there are people who win the Masters being just straight twelve under, right? Which maybe that's what it was, but like to be twelve strokes ahead of everyone else. I love records like that because it's apples and apples, right? right. It was everyone playing on the same course. You know, with the same conditions at the time, you know, you, you see sometimes and depending on what course you're at, some some golf things are easier and some golf things are harder. But he beat his competition that weekend and on, by the way, the biggest stage of golf, the Masters. Right. By 12 strokes. One of the hardest courses in golf. Dang. Unreal. I've got a fun one because I I mean, we, we got to turn it right around to football as well. Uh they're just – again, the game changes. People aren't as loosey-goosey with the football as they used to be. And Mr. Brett Favre mm-hmm. has turned the ball over more than oh, anyone no. else in football history. Oh, no, Brett. He played a long time. I don't think anyone will, will have his Iron Man streak in the NFL either. But while he was doing it, he played a kind of game where he would just chuck it. And maybe it would be a touchdown and that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would be an interception. That would be cool if it was against your team. Like, yeah. That's just not how the game's played anymore. And also, you look like way back in the NFL history, back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, right? The Detroit Lions had a fellow Dick Night Train Lane. He was a cornerback. Dick LeBeau, by the way, former coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers defense, was the other cornerback on that team. Mm. Night Train Lane had 14 interceptions in a single season. And you just don't see... You don't see quarterbacks being that fast and loose anymore. I don't think that's, you know, modern era, they get to 10 maybe, but that's almost an interception a game. Yeah. We could expand the the season to 17 games like some people want. I still don't think that one's getting touched. James Winston really tried hard, though. <laughs> he was. He got LASIK, by the way. He might be able to see which which receivers are his <laughs> and which ones fact. are the other ones. <laughs> what a fun fact. Oh, poor James. I have color blindness. I think that's why I didn't become an NFL quarterback. I wouldn't know which. I like that's the only reason. The, the right? only reason. Okay. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Got you. Got time for one more. One, absolutely. What's absolutely. One more record. The Celtics winning eight straight NBA championships. You just. Uh, I mean, even you look at the Patriots. They're a dynasty, right? They've mm-hmm. been nearly unbeatable for the last decade or more. Two decades. Um. But still eight in a row, they've they've never come close to eight in a row. And I just I think of all of the other sort of monoliths of sports. That's that's pretty pretty spectacular. You know you know what helps preserve that record is that there are thirty teams in the NBA today. Back in the sixties, there were eight. <laughs> fair, so <laughs> very fair. The, the Celtics won eight straight championships, <laughs> but that just means they were in the top eighth. 
of all NBA teams that were yeah, playing, fair. that's like getting to the playoffs. Yeah, that's, which, that's very yeah. true. But like Boston fans, just could you spread the wealth a little bit? Oh my goodness, just the like forever success of Boston teams. It's a little bit annoying. Man, it really is, too. And I remember when I was in high school, between October of 2007, or I guess November is when the World Series is actually played, the Sox win another World Series, right? They buck the curse. They're a great team now. And then immediately the Patriots go 16-0. and The Celtics win the NBA Finals. Even around 2008, that's when Matt Ryan and the BC Golden Eagles, Boston Stinkin' College, that's never been good ever, you know, they have Matt Ryan in this little period of time, and they're actually good, and he gets drafted really high. You know, it, it took the Bruins at least until like 2010 or so to win a Stanley Cup in that period of time. So you're talking about hockey. You just got to rely on hockey. (laughs) That's where the that's where the catharsis is. We'll take embarrassment of riches. (laughs) We're actually going to continue talking about records and bring it back around to BYU when we come back. This is the Cougar Tailgate. Welcome back into the Cougar Tailgate. My name is Cole Wissinger, and right over there, on the other side of the glass from me, <laughs> is Sydney Carlson. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. You know, you already let it slip earlier today that you weren't able to watch BYU play their last home game live because you were taking a little vacation. You were where? I was at Atlanta, and it wasn't so much a vacation as it was a work conference, but that's beside the point. <laughs> it's, it is out of the snow. You could have been yes, working. but it was so cold. In it Atlanta? was so cold in Atlanta. When we were flying out, the weather said it was snowing. And I was like, I would love to know who approved this. <laughs> I thought that we were I was south. told that I was going to the south where it would be warm. And I packed for warmth. And I was very unprepared. But did you did you get Chick-fil-A while you were there? I did not. But did you go to the Chick-fil-A Presents College Football Hall of Fame. Also did, did not. Chick-fil-A sponsors the... In case Chick-fil-A you thought, sponsors this podcast. You didn't know. In case you thought that college football bowl games were like awkwardly sponsored enough, the whole Hall of Fame of college football Straight also Chick-fil-A. sponsored by Chick-fil-A. I enjoy... I might get Chick-fil-A for lunch. I'm getting hungry now. Yeah, it's it's lunchtime and we then We really... We should not do... like. Noon on a Saturday is the worst time to do a live show because this is this is like my this is the most important lunch of the week. It's the weekend. It's hundred percent. I'm not going to get Chick Fil A tomorrow anyway. So the College Football Hall. Did you get down? You didn't get down there. We did not go to the College Football Hall of Fame. We got to see Mercedes Benz Stadium and we saw the State Farm Arena. And we wanted to hit the College Football Hall of Fame, but we just ran out of time. Well, to give you a peek inside, at least of the BYU side of it, I wanted to feel, I wanted to make you feel like you didn't miss out on anything. Great. So earlier uh, this year during the football season, I actually had a conversation with Greg Rubel where we talked about some of the BYU players that have their busts up in the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta, Georgia. Here's that conversation. We've got seven former BYU football players and coach. And one coach, yeah. In the College Football Hall of Fame. So let's knock them out uh, one by one. Okay. Going back furthest in the calendar, the first quarterback 
of a few quarterbacks you'll hear to get into the Hall of Fame was Gifford Nielsen. Yeah, first of five uh, BYU quarterbacks, and, and and so we won't do spoiler alert right now. We'll kind of <laughs> take them one by one. But uh, this is when uh, you know Lavelle's two three seasons right now into his into his tenure, and and people forget that uh, uh, in his first year as head coach, the Cougars did have the nation's leading rusher. Uh, so it, huh. it, it took a little while to, to navigate away from 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 the ground game to the aerial attack that made Lavelle and his teams famous. But uh, but Giff was really the first one to truly air it out. Now there had been uh, Virgil Carter and Gary Scheide, and, and they've been there have been hints of it. But this is when it really started to get uh, uh, nationally known. And, and Giff was the first guy to truly put up uh, you know crazy numbers for BYU. And uh, and, and I, I think at that point the quarterback factory was in business mid to late seventies. Because the guy that took over for Gifford Nielsen was Mark Wilson. Mark Wilson. And this is back at a time when you would see a true apprenticeship, Cole, where you would see um, a starter for two years, and then you'd see the next guy start for basically two years, the next guy would basically start for two years, and so you'd see a quarterback come in, bide his time for two, play for two, bide mm-hmm. his time for two, play. That they was kind learned of the way under the other Hall of Famers. Right. And-, and there were some exceptions due to injury, and so you'd see someone like Jim McMahon get in early and then have to take a step back as the other guy got healthy again, uh, if Jim comes in due to injury to Mark Wilson, for example. And, but you did see um, the, the, this kind of succession plan in place. And, and it's okay, I think, to hint at maybe what we're talking about in terms of, you know, the next guy coming, but Gifford Nielsen begets Mark Wilson, who begets Jim McMahon, who begets Steve, Steve Young. Young. And it really, truly was, you'd come in, you'd learn, you'd start. You'd come in, you'd learn, you'd start. And it kind of went one by one. And so from, from really mid-70s to mid-80s, you saw the factory truly look like a factory. Ten solid years yeah. where... One after the other, after the other, after the other, four of them all get into the Hall of Fame. And, and, and I shouldn't shortchange Robbie Bosco, not a Hall of Famer, but but he picked up where Steve Young left off. And so really you saw five quarterbacks yeah. over a decade just kind of keep it going. And then Robbie ends up leading BYU to its national championship. Although he's not in the Hall of Fame, he has as much national renown as anybody. And that's that's where you get the national championship and... A lot of that comes from the coach as well, who kind of started this and and carried it through, and his name is on the front of the stadium, and Lavelle Edwards is BYU football. And in terms of order, uh, Gifford inducted uh, first. I think Steve Young and Gifford were around the same time, and and then you go Wilson, McMahon, uh, Lavelle comes in, and then they're followed by two people we'll still get to. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, this year's current Hall of Fame class, I think, has two more coaches going in. So coaches are as eligible as players, mm-hmm. and, and, and Lavelle is as legendary as any of them, certainly. So uh, let's, let's talk about the non-quarterback, non-coach, because this is the name that I didn't immediately yeah. recognize. And, and he's most closely associated with, um, with Steve Young, but he was, he was also with Jim McMahon. Uh, Gordon Hudson, the tight end, okay. and, and truly put up remarkable numbers, and is the one non-quarterback, non-coach in for BYU. Uh, still, um, he was still, he's still currently, I think, the FBS record holder for most passes caught per game uh, by a tight end for a career. He was over five catches per game for his entire BYU career. Uh, and so Gordon Hudson was uh, in, in the early 80s as good as it gets at tight end. And so coming back to these quarterbacks, uh, Nielsen and Wilson and McMahon and Young, these were all Heisman Trophy finalists. And Bosco was a Heisman Trophy finalist mm-hmm. a couple times on his own. 
But the guy that finally gets the Heisman Trophy for BYU is in the 90s, Ty Dentmer. Right. And the most recent inductee into the College Football Hall of Fame for BYU, Ty Dentmer. Just so people know, uh, among the criteria, you have to be done with your professional career and you have to be 10 years out of college and you have to have been a first team All-American. So uh, there are some players who don't meet certain criteria. Ty met all of those, of course, and, and is the most recent inductee for that. And uh, and Ty, uh, again, for, for obvious reasons... Uh, kind of stands above the other quarterbacks, if you will, because he did win uh, college football's greatest prize, individual prize, in the Heisman Trophy. But the rest of them and, and BYU's football pedigree has been solid because each one of these quarterbacks and coaches in the tight end, they got to play on good teams mm-hmm. as well. And you know these are all double-digit winning teams, and and, uh, and and there was a reason that BYU was for a time called the quarterback factory because of these guys in the Hall of Fame. For a school to have five quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame is truly something. There are a lot of there are a lot of schools that can spread it around different positions, but to be centralized as BYU is with five signal callers in the Hall of Fame, I think really stands BYU apart. And as best as my research could do, there are over a hundred quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame from all kinds of different schools, but BYU is the only team that had four straight quarterbacks. Get into the hole. Pretty of amazing. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, so the question becomes, who's the next guy? Who do you see over the past few years? Now there are criteria. Maybe, maybe even talk about a guy that doesn't meet the criteria that you think should get recognized. But who's BYU got? Because 1990 was when Ty Dentmer was playing. So yeah. surely in the past 30 years, we got a couple guys. Well, I give this some thought, but I, I, I don't, you know. In terms of quarterbacks, Taysom Hill was actually pretty interesting in terms of what he, was, what he was able to do as a thrower and a runner. And if Taysom Hill were to go on and, say, become the New Orleans Saints starting quarterback and have some great run, a great run of, uh, of years like, say, Steve Young did in his 30s with the 49ers, we can maybe talk about what Taysom did as a college player. Because I, th- I think his numbers get overlooked a lot because they end to do, many of his seasons end to do to injury. But to be uh, a rusher and a passer the way he was, w- 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 was, pretty, uh, was pretty remarkable. And Taysom's got the iconic moment in his back pocket as well over Texas. Right, and... yeah. So, so that's something we have to wait quite a while to see ultimately what his pro career ends up being. Because then you can, then you can look bad as, back at his college numbers and say he was you know one of the best dual threat players you're going to see. Steve Sarkeesian had a couple of really nice years for BYU, but just one bowl game and, and came out of a JUCO. She just two years as a college player, as an FBS player. Uh, you know, Kyle Van Noy is pretty early in his in his career right now as a pro. Uh, let's see what his pro career turns out to be, and you could look back at his college numbers and shine a brighter light on them. I think perhaps as well. And another defensive player, Ziggy Ansah, Ziggy Ansah, was drafted really high, but when you look back, he didn't have a lot of he didn't spend a lot of time in college to get the and and, and, and really he didn't become a you know a college quote unquote superstar till late in his BYU right. tenure. He was so you know late to the game, so I think it's a little early to to say who might you know be the next guy worth a really serious look. Um, but you know, there's a couple names that come to mind. I I, I thought. Uh, you know, Rob Morris for what he did as a college linebacker was pretty impressive too for his years. Uh, but those are just some names that I think might come to mind. But it really, it, it's tough to top what BYU had going in the '80s and '90s uh, when it comes to the the, the 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 passing game because what BYU was doing was kind of ahead of its time. And maybe Ty Detmer was the last of the BYU quarterbacks to kind of show just how far ahead BYU was as a throwing school at that time. So many schools look like BYU and vice versa since. And so it's almost as if BYU... Um, you know, ha- had that lightning in a bottle decade that really kind of launched all these guys into the Hall of Fame. And I want to make this note: um, the College Football Hall of Fame, 
is uh, I have been to it, but not in its current venue. Uh, it's in Atlanta now. Yeah, moved to Atlanta. But from 2005, I think, or 95 to 12, it was in South Bend. Okay. And I did get there when it was there. So so BYU played a few times in Notre Dame, and, and during its South Bend years, I did get to the College Football Hall of Fame when it resided in Indiana. Not since it's moved to Atlanta. I look forward to getting down there at some point and seeing, uh, again, another representation of the BYU players I saw in South Bend now moved south. And they've got a lot of new technology down there. Yeah, it looks a lot different now. Much more, it's much more fan friendly now. It's easier to get to in Atlanta than it was in South Bend. Mm -hmm. It looks a lot different than it did in South Bend, and and certainly a great venue to visit. And I hope to get there someday. So there you go. Now you know a little bit more about BYU history, and you've got a Jeopardy question up your sleeve. Who are the seven BYU players, six and a coach, that? have their uh, faces immortalized forever in the College Football Hall of Fame there in Atlanta, Georgia. Some of the great giants of BYU football, people that when you, we, I mean, we at this conference were talking to some people from the Niners and it was like, oh, hey, we've got some Niners. We can talk about Steve Young and Tom Homo and obviously Fred Warner. <laughs> Fred Warner, actually. They love Fred Warner. He like as soon as I said Fred's name, his face lit up. It was really exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. We t- he talked about the Super Bowl, and it was a bit of a bummer. Yeah. Brought the- he was like, yeah, I- somebody brought up there from Miami. He's like, hey, I had a really good time in Miami right up until the fourth quarter last week. Oh, <laughs> Poor guy. That's true. But it was a good time. You so- should have gone to Miami. It's probably a little warmer down there. Oh, I would have loved to have been in Miami. <laughs> but- you got to talk to the people that organize these things. I would ha- like to have some words. You're absolutely <laughs> correct. Well, that's going to do it for the Cougar Tailgate today. It has been a joy, as always, talking a little BYU sports with you, Sydney. And we appreciate so much the guests we've had on the program. We talked to Jack Cronin, the play-by-play man of San Diego Torero basketball and football. Uh, We learned a little something there about their program and proximity to the beach, and places to go eat if you're in town for the game tonight. And then we also looked a little bit back at our own BYU college basketball and football history a little bit, and then just some other unbreakable records. We appreciate Greg Rubel's comments and just general knowledge about BYU. If any of that sounds interesting, if you're intrigued and you missed a little bit of today's show, you can always check out the podcast. We are available on byuradio.org or also just wherever you get your podcasts. That's Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher. Just search Cougar Tailgate. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can send an email to cougartailgate at gmail.com. If you have a suggestion or a fan experience you want to share on the program, reach out to us in that way. You can catch the Cougar Tailgate every Saturday for, for a couple more Saturdays. Basketball season is winding down, but we're excited and we will be with you through it all. I'm Cole Wessinger. Right over there on the other side of the glass today is Sydney Carlson. We're a production of BYU Radio. Go Cougs!